Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Anas, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Artist Reads Fourth Quarter and 2020 Annual Results Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star and the number two. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Ms. Heather Nickel. Ms. Nickel, please go ahead. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Artis's fourth quarter and year-end 2020 results conference call. With me today is Artis's interim CEO, Samir Manji, and CFO, Jim Green. Other members of senior management are also with us and may participate in our Q&A session. Our fourth quarter and year-end 2020 results were disseminated yesterday and are available on CDART and on our website. The audio cast of today's call is also available on our website. A replay of the call will be available later this afternoon until Wednesday, April 7, 2021. The replay numbers and passcodes were provided in yesterday's press release, and an archived recording of this call will be available on our website. Before we get started, please be reminded that today's call may include forward-looking statements. Such statements involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied today. We have identified such factors in our public filings with the securities regulators and suggest that you refer to those filings. As we discuss our performance, please keep in mind that all figures are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. With that, I will turn the call over to Samir. Thank you, Heather. Good morning to those in the West and good afternoon to those in the East. Welcome and thank you for joining our 2020 annual results conference call. Before we get to our fourth quarter results, I would like to say a few words regarding the global pandemic. As we all know, COVID-19 continues to impact our country and the world we live in. I would like to thank and acknowledge our courageous frontline workers across the country who have worked tirelessly throughout the pandemic to do everything they can to serve and protect Canadians. Our thoughts and prayers go to all those who have lost loved ones through and because of the pandemic. We are encouraged by the increasing number of vaccines and their availability. It appears we are heading in the right direction and can look forward to brighter days in the coming months as new case count numbers decline and the number of Canadians who have been vaccinated increases. This will, amongst other things, help reopen our economy, businesses, and allow Canadians to see life return to some level of normalcy. I'll now provide an update on Artis's business and operations. I'd like to start by acknowledging the team at Artis for their hard work and support over the past three months. Artis has undergone significant changes, and I recognize that this has not been easy on many people in our organization. I have been impressed by the professionalism and commitment of our team, including those based in our Winnipeg head office and others situated in our remote offices across Canada and the United States. We have a strong and dedicated team at Artis. 
Since November 30th, 2020, we have completed or substantially advanced all of the initiatives set out publicly by Sandpiper, including overhauling the REIT's governance, the addition of new and diverse perspectives, a 25% reduction in board costs, and identifying opportunities for reduction in G&A expenses. We are all working hard to improve many critical areas of our business, including corporate operations, asset management, and deal negotiations. We are identifying efficiencies, professionalizing processes, implementing best practices, and institutionalizing our platform in real time with the ultimate goal of maximizing long-term value for our unit holders. In light of the fact that we plan to announce the results of the 100-day review in the coming days, I'll keep the remainder of my comments focused on the 2020 annual results. I look forward to presenting our go-forward vision and strategy for artists very soon. 2020 was a challenging year for the real estate industry. Despite these challenges, we are pleased to report improvements to our debt metrics and our ability to maintain significant liquidity throughout the year, which Jim will provide more details on shortly. Our portfolio continues to demonstrate its strength and resiliency. Occupancy decreased slightly from December of 2019, but was still strong at 91.9% at the end of 2020. Rent collections remained steady throughout the year and were especially strong in the fourth quarter at over 98%. Our property managers continue to work diligently to support tenants during this time, and our leasing team has adapted, now providing virtual tours of vacant space wherever possible and facilitating virtual lease negotiations. Despite these challenging conditions, 1.3 million square feet of new leases and 1.8 million square feet of renewals commenced during 2020. The renewals achieved a 2.4% increase in rental rates. During the year, we also completed one industrial development in the US, Arc 890 Phase 4, and two retail development projects in Canada, 330 Main and Linden Ridge Shopping Center 2. During the third quarter, we completed Park 890 Phase 4, a 100,000 square foot built to suit industrial building in the Houston area that is 100% leased to a multinational tenant. Artis, along with our joint venture partner, has now begun construction on the, on the fifth and final phase of the Park 890 development, which is expected to add three additional buildings totaling 677,000 square feet of gross leasable area. The two retail developments completed during the year were densification projects on land already owned by the REIT. The first, 330 Main, is a 28,000 square foot retail development located at the iconic intersection of Portage Avenue and Main Street in Winnipeg. The property is situated between a 30-story office tower at 360 Main Street and the new apartment development that is under construction at 300 Main Street and is located above the shops of Winnipeg Square, providing indoor access to the city's skywalk system that links numerous towers and downtown amenities. This property is 94% leased. At Linden Ridge Shopping Center, artists completed a 17,000 square foot densification project that is 100% leased to two national tenants. The land was acquired in 2013 and is situated in a popular retail node in Winnipeg, adjacent 
to a 193,000 square foot retail property that is owned by the REIT. This new 17,000 square foot multi-tenant building shares a site with Lowe's, whose building was constructed in 2017 pursuant to a built-to-suit agreement. In terms of ongoing development projects, in addition to the final phase of Park 890 already mentioned, construction of 300 main continues. In addition to these ongoing projects, subsequent to the end of the year, we closed on the purchase of Park Lucero East, a 37-acre parcel of land located along the South Loop 202 freeway in the Phoenix area. Artis has a partnership agreement in place to develop three Class A state-of-the-art industrial buildings, totaling approximately 561,000 square feet of leasable area. Artis will develop this project as a 10% general partner. Lastly, I will provide some color on Artis's disposition activity during the year. We sold 13 properties during the year, totaling 2.1 million square feet of leasable area and two parcels of development land. Of the 13 property sales, nine were office properties, three were retail, and one was industrial, with 11 of the 13 located in Canada and two located in the United States. The sale price for these assets exceeded the IFRS values by a combined total of $10.4 million. We will endeavor to further maximize value on all future dispositions we pursue, understanding that IFRS values don't always align to real-time fair market value. Subsequent to December 31, 2020, we sold Tower Business Center, an industrial property located in the Denver area for $66.45 million U.S., which translates to $53.16 million U.S. for artists' 80% interest. The sale represents a 3.99% cap rate and a significant gain over the construction cost and the REIT's IFRS fair value for the property. We also have an unconditional agreement in place to sell two retail properties in Regina for $45 million, representing a 9.4% cap rate and a portion of a retail property in Fort McMurray for $4.6 million, representing a cap rate of 7.7%. I will now turn to Jim Green, our Chief Financial Officer, to provide a summary of our consolidated financial results for the fourth quarter. Thanks, Samir, and, and good afternoon and or good morning to everyone on the call. Uh, the fourth quarter was certainly an active one at Artis. As Samir mentioned, the COVID-19 virus is still hitting all countries, including Canada and the U.S., our specific markets with more restrictions and government-mandated shutdowns. During the quarter, Artis reached agreement to settle a potential proxy battle with one of our significant investors, which resulted, as Samir mentioned, in a reconstituted board and changes at the senior management level. The new board placed all prior strategic initiatives either on hold or terminated to give itself time to review and create a new plan and direction for Artis, which Samir referenced in his remarks and which will be revealed to the market in the coming weeks. The settlement and wind-up of the prior strategic plans did involve some significant one-time costs. Uh, to the best of our knowledge, these have all been accounted for in Q4, and there will be nothing that will carry forward into Q1 for these one-time costs. 
think this, I'm going to duplicate one of Samir's comments, but our rent collections have been strong at 98.5% of our rent collected in the fourth quarter, and thus far our tenants are weathering the storm quite well. Artists chose during 2020 to not participate in the CEQRA program proposed by the federal government. However, we have been working with our tenants as needed to provide rent deferrals, and in some cases we've provided rent abatements in exchange for an early renewal or longer term on the lease. The federal government has announced a new rent relief program for tenants referred to as CERS, C-E-R-S, with the aid coming directly to the tenant and not involving a rent reduction by the landlord. We feel this is a major improvement as far as the government program goes and are working with our tenants as necessary to help them access this program. To the end of December, our rents receivable were down to approximately $5.7 million from $8.2 million at the end of September, and there is a further $4.9 million due under deferral agreements with our tenants. This deferred rent balance is also down from Q3 as we begin to collect amounts that were deferred during Q2. While we feel the majority of both the current rents receivable and the deferrals will ultimately be collected, we did book a reserve of approximately $2 million against these balances, which we feel is ad adequate to cover any potential re rent defaults. Leasing activity has been strong. Uh, as in the quarter, roughly 250,000 square feet renewed uh, and an average annual total of 1.8 million square feet. And again, I believe Samir mentioned this, but weighted average rent increase was 2.4%, which we feel was very good given the impact of COVID on both the overall market and specifically on our tenants. Based on our Q4 NOI, net operating income, the REIT had a 49.3% weighting in Canada and 50.7% in the U.S., so almost an equal balance, uh, slightly tilting towards the U.S. On an asset class basis, we are 44.2% weighted in office, 19.3% weighted in retail, 36.5% weighted in industrial. For those of you who were on our Q3 call, you may recall that we added some additional disclosure in our MDNA, breaking out a lot of our metrics segregated now by asset class. And hopefully this disclosure is helpful to the marketplace as investors review our results and valuations. As I know, sometimes a diversified REIT can be challenging to value. Our balance sheet continues to improve. Our debt to GBV ratio has been gradually coming down and now sits at a on a proportionate share basis at 50.2% this quarter compared to 51.9% last quarter and 52.3% last year end. Artis has a relatively significant portion of our debt maturing in the next 12 months with 438 million of mortgage debt in addition to an unsecured debenture for $250 million. Some of this in the last few years has been kept short term as it relates to assets we plan to sell. Uh, we anticipate no difficulty in what we see in the current market in refinancing the rest and funds are available on our line of credit if needed for any refinancing. Our NOI this quarter was 67.3 million compared to 71 million last quarter. The primary driver of the NOI drop was asset dispositions However, there was also a swing in 
Last quarter, we had a recovery of bad debts based on an over-allowance, I guess maybe call it, in Q2 that was re uh, recorded as reversal in Q3. That did not occur this quarter, so there is, and then there is also slightly lower FX result, results. Decline in NOI also translated to a decline in FFO to 45.8 million compared to 50.8 million last quarter, roughly comparable to the NOI change. FFO came in at 34 cents per unit this quarter compared to 37 last quarter and 37 in the comparative quarter last year. Asset sales completed during the year are generally dilutive to uh, NOI metrics, and that was anticipated and planned for. So a lower per unit numbers have been aided somewhat by units repurchased under our NCIB program. Uh, there, there is some dilution occurring from the asset sales, but the strengthening of the balance sheet, in our opinion, is worth it. We've added disclosure, breaking out our FFO from each asset class using the percentage of NOI as the method of allocation. And if you do it on that basis, the read earned 15 cents of FFO from office, 12 cents from industrial, and 7 cents from retail. AFFO for the quarter was 23 cents per unit compared to 27 in Q4 of 19, again, roughly tracking the changes in FFO. Our payout ratios remain very conservative at 38.3% of FFO and 52.9% of AFFO. Getting a little more granular on a same property basis, results, I'm gonna say unfortunately, were a negative 5.2% this quarter. That is of course timing differences, but one of the largest factors in the drop continues to be parking revenue in the office sector as many tenants have canceled parking while they work from home during COVID. The general office lease, of course, is on a longer-term lease, but parking revenue is generally month-to-month, -month, and if the tenants aren't there, they aren't paying for it. The industrial segment continues to show the strongest performance in both countries, and Canada did have a slight decline of 1.6%, uh, but the U.S. had 4.8% growth. The decline in Canada is, is, in our opinion, just some temporary occupancy changes that will reverse in future quarters. On the issue of fair values, our investment properties are valued on our balance sheet at fair value. It continues to be somewhat de challenging to determine fair value due to the impact of COVID. However, there is no hard evidence that cap rates, discount rates, or market rents have moved substantially. You may recall if you've been following artists quarter by quarter that there was a fairly large decline of 141.8 million in Q1, mainly related to retail and some office assets as the pandemic started. However, we did not feel any significant adjustments were warranted in subsequent quarters, and there have been generally some smaller increases and decreases over the subsequent three quarters, such that we ended the year with a $122.6 million loss. As artists reports our investment properties at fair value under IFRS, we can calculate a net asset value per trust unit figure. And that calculation is simply using the equity on our balance sheet, less the equity held by preferred unit holders, and divided by the number of common units outstanding at the end of the quarter. And on that basis, the net asset value per trust unit was 1503 this quarter compared to 1535 last quarter. 
So a 32% decline this quarter, largely due to FX. In fact, more, more the, than necessary due to FX, which on a standalone basis would have decreased the net asset value by 46 cents. And offsetting that was a gain of 14 cents related to our NCIB and redemption of deferred and restricted units. Artis ended the quarter with roughly $35 million of cash on hand and $575 million undrawn on our line of credit, although $250 million was drawn on that line subsequent to year-end to repay the Series C debentures as they matured. That was planned. Uh, the Series D debentures were issued in September of 2020 with the plan to temporarily put the money down on the line of credit and repay the Series C debentures. Based on what we know today, we feel we have added liquidity to get us through the remainder of the COVID crisis, and we look forward to more normal times. And last but certainly not least, I would highlight the fact uh, this was made public in November that we have implemented a distribution increase of 3% commencing with the distribution that was paid in January of 2021. And that completes the financial review for now. Happy to answer questions if there are some later, but I will pass it back to Samir for further remarks. Keep safe, everyone. Thank you, Jim. In summary, we would like to reiterate our confidence in our people and our portfolio of assets. We remain committed to doing everything we can to maximize value for our unit holders, which in the near term includes focusing on optimizing operations and maximizing rents and occupancy in every asset we own. We will also continue to explore divestitures. We have a lot of interest in various assets and asset classes, and this, combined with our healthy liquidity position that Jim summarized, puts us in a strong negotiating position when considering any asset sales. As I mentioned at the outset, we look forward to sharing the results of our 100-day review in a few days, which will include our go-forward vision and strategy. This will also include hosting a virtual investor meeting to present our plan and to engage with our unit holders and other stakeholders. We hope you and your families all continue to stay healthy and well. I'll now turn it back to the operator for Q&A. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchstone phone. You will hear three tone prompt acknowledging your request. Questions will be taken in the order received. Should you wish to withdraw your request, please press the star followed by the two. If you are using a speakerphone, please leave the handset before pressing any keys. One moment, please, before your first question. Your first question comes from Jonathan Kelsher with TD. Jonathan, please go ahead. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thanks. Uh, good afternoon. Um, first question is just on, um, I guess, near-term capital allocation. I guess we'll get uh, uh, a longer-term view when, when you put out the 100-day the or the, the plan within the 100 days in, in the next couple weeks or so. But 
Near term, I was a little surprised to see you guys uh, repurchase shares in the, the fourth quarter. Can you maybe give us your thought process be behind doing so? Sure, Jonathan. I, uh, I'll simply say that uh, to the comments that Jim made earlier, uh, we have ample liquidity. We have a high conviction in our disclosed NAS. And combining the two, uh, where the unit price uh, was trading, uh, for us, the NTIB uh, spilling even into January, uh, which was noted as a subsequent event, the NCIB represents a very compelling uh, allocation of capital and investment uh, to buy back our units for unit holders. Okay. Um, and then I guess just keeping along the same lines, I was also a little surprised, and uh, this was a subsequent event, that you guys put um, leverage on uh, three unencumbered retail assets. I would have thought that... Uh, um, you were looking to sell retail assets. So again, there, uh, we've got, as you know, over 200 assets uh, across our three asset classes. And we are looking at uh, upcoming maturing debt. We were looking at where interest rates were in the market. And so the ability to swap assets, including those maturities that are upcoming, that we would then potentially add to our pool of unencumbered assets, was, uh, in our view, uh, a sound decision, again, in light of uh, what the prevailing interest rate environment was. Okay. So should we, can we read anything into that with uh, your future outlook? And I guess in, in the last thing there with, um, with selling the, in, the industrial asset post, uh, post the quarter? I won't comment on you know, what, uh, uh, what one should read into, uh, we will uh, be, as has been noted, uh, presenting uh, separate from this a call and from yesterday's press release, uh, a formal uh, presentation and press release regarding the go forward vision and strategy. And within that, uh, there will be uh, ample color and visibility around uh, items, including capital allocation going forward and what the uh, strategic uh, plan is uh, across the board, but I would say that, you know, with respect to the divestiture of Tower, uh, it was uh, a, a, frankly, very uh, a compelling transaction. Uh, we had uh, ample, ample interest in this asset uh, through a formal process, and uh, the result, I think, speaks for itself in terms of what was achieved, uh, both in terms of cap rate but also uh, what was achieved relative to cost and the, the gain that was uh, was uh, realized. Okay. So did, was that, um, was it like an unsolicited bid and then you guys started a process or did you just, or did you decide to sell it and start a process? We've got our executive vice president for the U S region, Philip Martin's on the call. Philip, why don't you take that question? Thank you. The, the process was formal. It was not unsolicited. We used, uh, we went through various different brokerage houses to get obtain a, a book of value, and we, selecting CBRE, we uh, we went through a formal process, and it went through uh, almost four rounds of bidding, all receiving really really great interest and uh, exceeded our expectations for the exit cap, which turned out to be 4.03 percent. Uh, exit yield, which broke all records in Denver 
for industrial um, sales. Okay, that is helpful. Thanks. I'll uh, I'll turn it back. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. We have a following question from Mike Marquides with Desjardins. Mike, please go ahead. Hi. Thanks, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I was hoping we could, the not the office portfolio specifically. Um, you know, one quarter doesn't make a trend, but the same property no either was was down significantly. But also, your your occupancy in the office segment has over the last several quarters taken a bit of a hit. So, I don't know if it's it's isolated to a specific region, if it's more of a uh, a broader trend that you're seeing or transitory in nature. But any color on that uh, dynamic would be helpful. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we've got uh, our uh, uh, Executive Vice President uh, Frank Sherlock on the line. I'm going to ask Frank to comment on Canadian office, and then I'll ask Philip to comment on U.S. office. Uh, sure. Um, in Canada, uh, the, the the major uh, change for year on year was the Alberta office uh, office market. Our occupancy at the start of 20 was about 78.6%. And it ended the year at uh, 66. So that's where we, we saw the um, uh, most of the decrease. Our other office market, our other major office market in uh, Canada is Manitoba. And uh, occupancy remained flat there for the full year. So we didn't really see any change there. We had, a, um, a, a, again, in Ontario, not as many office buildings, um, one of which was sold, uh, Concord Corporate, last uh, year. So... Really, we have four office buildings in um, in Ontario, and again, uh, flat there as well. Um, nothing in Saskatchewan. And in regards to the United States, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to add one further comment: is that the the office also includes the parking revenue that I referred to as being substantially down from a year ago. So there is a there is a hit on uh, on parking revenue. Of course, yeah. Thank you. And in regards to the United States, where we have office in Madison, Minneapolis, Denver, and Phoenix, we uh, generally have had held stable, although it's been a quiet year in 2020. And we are we are seeing all types of responses to the future, some that have been very positive, uh, in particular, particularly in Minneapolis in the third quarter, where we uh, we had a good opportunity to extend for long term by providing an early TI while their employees were at home. Uh, so we do see some bright spots, particularly also in Phoenix, we're seeing a greater amount of activity uh, more than ever, and that does spill more into, into the 2021 with the good news of how vaccines are being distributed in the United States. Madison has remained stable. Uh, we, uh, we still hope to achieve a few good leases in the upcoming future. So overall, also in Denver, it has been quite quiet downtown. Um, we did sign a significant lease in Southeast Denver, uh, and we're uh, so we're looking forward to a much better year in 2021. Again, I think this has a lot to do with the uh, the success of the vaccine distribution in the United States. Okay, that's uh, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, just with respect to the development that were completed, Jim, during the quarter, would the uh, full NOI from those have been captured in the quarter, or is there still an uptick? And if so, do you happen to know what the incremental contribution would be in Q1? Uh, Jim, I'm 
Um, there was, I would say it's not 100% incorporated into Q1, or sorry, Q4 for sure. Um, did you have a comment on that? Um, I, I, sorry, I do think that the Park 890 NOI would be the full, the full amount for the quarter, okay. as well as 330 um, Main Street. I don't think the good life commenced in October 1st. I think it was delayed a little bit. Okay, sorry, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And then um, just lastly, just to confirm on the Park 890 um, that you're that you've started construction on, um, is that being done on a on a speculative basis? Um, and if so, uh, do you have a read on uh, any leasing activity on that property currently? Thank you. Uh, again, we'll pass that over to Philip. Thank you. Yes, uh, we are building that speculatively. We uh, we've, we're introducing. A variety of product on that uh, site. There will be a cross dock, which will be our second foot of site, but it will be larger, and then a small rear load and a front load. We've had success with front load, but overall we have no pre-leasing completed. We just broke ground, and so we uh, we have had interest from various parties already. Marketing has been sent out, so I look forward to giving you uh, more news in a quarter. Okay, and uh, last one for me before I turn it back. Just on the um, the two sales that were done subsequently, obviously a record breaking transaction, record breaking, pardon me, transaction on the uh, the Denver asset. And uh, to, to confirm that was so two questions here. To confirm that that asset was 100% occupied. And then the second would be just on the Victoria Square transaction. Then the nine four cap looks you know elevated even compared to what we would consider to be a, a cap rate for retail. And I was just wondering if you'd give a little bit more color as to what was the driver there. Thank you. And that, I'll turn it back after that. Thank you. Great, thanks. So yes, the answer to the first part of the question, uh, tower was uh, fully occupied uh, with two uh, significant tenants. And then uh, your comment uh, around the upcoming dispositions. I think one has to look uh, into this a bit uh, with a bit of a different lens. Uh, this represents our last enclosed retail shopping center and from our vantage point uh, just based on what we want to focus on strategically uh, we felt that uh, after a, a fully marketed process exercise uh, that uh, the highest and best offer that was presented was one that uh, we were comfortable uh, negotiating uh, and ultimately landing on a transaction uh, in and uh, as we've conveyed they're unconditional and we anticipate that's going to close Thank you. Your next question comes from Matt Logan with RBC Capital Markets. Matt, please go ahead. Thank you, and good afternoon. Uh, wondering, Samir, if you could give us uh, a few of your high-level thoughts on your first couple of months on the job just what you've learned and, you know, how your views have changed about Argus as a business, uh, if at all. Sure, Matt. I I'm going to keep my comments relatively brief because I think uh, a lot of what uh, we uh, look forward to presenting uh, in the days ahead following the 100-day review will uh, respond to that question. But let me let me start by saying or reinforcing what I conveyed in my earlier remarks. Uh, I've had the the privilege and uh, opportunity to get to know many of the incredible individuals uh, who uh, work uh, at Artis uh, over the last few months. 
And uh, we've got a committed, dedicated, hardworking team of individuals. And um, I think that uh, the second comment I would uh, share is, uh, and I touched on this earlier, uh, we have strong conviction in the assets uh, and our underlying business that we believe uh, for a variety of reasons, historically uh, and even currently, is undervalued and perhaps underappreciated uh, by the market. A third, I would say that while uh, there are uh, some challenges that uh, we anticipated and we have uh, now confirmed that uh, we're confident that we'll be able to work through those challenges. And then finally, uh, insofar as the opportunities uh, ahead of us, uh, including uh, some of the operational efficiencies that we believe we're going to be able to, together, uh, as a unified team, uh, um, materialize and, uh, uh, and put in place, uh, we think that you know that's going to uh, pave the way for um, you know a positive uh, positive road ahead. So I'll, I'll just keep my comments uh, to those for now, and uh, like I said, look forward to sharing more in the days ahead. Appreciate the color, and maybe just clarifying your earlier comments, saying that the IFRS values don't always align with fair market values. Would that mean that you expect to sell assets on average in line with your IFRS NAV? Or would that be maybe the office and retail assets might be sold a bit lower and the industrial assets might be sold a bit higher? How should we think about that? And any comments would be appreciated. Sure. Uh, again, uh, the, the general comment I'll make uh, is not uh, specific to asset class. Uh, we have uh, engaged in uh, negotiations and discussions on specific individual assets across uh, each of the asset classes. And in, uh, in many instances, uh, when particularly when someone comes forward on an unsolicited basis to express interest in an asset, uh, ultimately the market speaks and uh, generally uh, there's never a perfect correlation between the cap rates that we use for IFRS purposes and what uh, in, in a practical sense happens uh, in, uh, in a specific market and with a specific asset. All that to say, uh, you know, do I think that $15.03 is an accurate um, net asset value for artists? Uh, I would say that, uh, and I speak on behalf of the entire management team and the board, we are very comfortable with $15.03, and uh, one can uh, interpret that, you know, uh, as they choose. And maybe just following up on some comments from the prior management team last quarter, who noted that they were still in discussions with potential purchasers for artists, uh, you know, for the entire business. Would that still be the case following the reconstitution of the board? No, as Jim as Jim already mentioned, you know, we've, uh, if I understand the question correctly, uh, we've suspended uh, all activities that. Uh, were in place last year as it relates to the uh, strategic review, as it relates to the retail spin. Uh, we have undertaken a very exhaustive uh, exercise under the leadership of our Board of Trustees 
uh, in this 100-day review that we will be coming back to the market on uh, in the days ahead. And uh, the outcome of that uh, we uh, look forward uh, to presenting will include what the go-forward uh, vision and strategy is uh, for artists. And at this point, that go-forward vision and strategy does not contemplate uh, putting the company up for sale. So no plans for a sale at the moment, uh, but we'll hear more on the future of artists in a few weeks. Would it be fair to say that the, those potential purchasers would still be interested? You're simply taking a bit of a step back to reassess at the moment? Yeah, I, I can't comment on that. We, we've, we have not in a proactive way uh, engaged with any parties uh, related to uh, potential sale of the company. Have you received any inbounds since uh, you've taken or reconstituted the board? I can't comment on that. Okay, well, I'll leave it there and uh, turn the call back. Thank you very much. Thank you. Your next question comes from Jenny Ma with BMO. Jenny, please go ahead. Thank you, and uh, hello, everybody. Um, Samir, I wanted to get your thoughts on the distribution. We've seen some high-profile distribution cuts uh, in the very uh, recent past, and I know earlier in the fall there was a view of raising the distribution by a little bit um, on the back of some you know, lower GNA costs. So just you know, net-net, how are you feeling about the distribution? Um, and, and excuse me if I'm getting ahead of, uh, ahead of the 100-day review results, but um, you know, when you look at what uh, other REITs have done and when you look at where the other diversified REITs are trading at in terms of yield, has your, has your, philosophy, your philosophy or approach to this, this distribution changed in light of uh, the past few months? Thanks, Jenny. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll provide a couple of comments, and then I'll also invite Jim to share his thoughts. But let me uh, simply say that uh, we uh, have, we believe, a safe distribution, a, a conservative distribution uh, that we, are both, including on, a, on a, a ratio to FFO and AFFO, that uh, includes uh, the, the bump that the predecessor board announced uh, and management announced in November. And uh, on a go-forward basis, uh, we are certainly very comfortable with this distribution. We do not intend to reduce the distribution. And insofar as, you know, what, uh, what may happen uh, with the distribution going in the other direction, upwards, uh, I think we'll have to just wait and see, you know, what, um, what the board determines on the uh, other end of the 100-day review. And then also, obviously, how we perform operationally uh, and financially in the, uh, in the quarters uh, ahead. Jim, do you want to add anything? Uh, just very quickly, I think the, you know, as, as Samir just mentioned, we remain very comfortable with that 3% distribution increase at the time that was implemented. I think it was appropriate and sustainable and likely could be increased further down the road. But uh, again, we'll have to invite you all to wait for the results of the 100-day review. Okay, I, I guess uh, I guess we'll wait. Um, I wanted to ask about uh, office leasing and the outlook. Um, you've, you're, you know, on your perch, you can see what's happening in the Canada and the U.S. And there's been a lot of talk about um, the rise or, or, or the revival of suburban office space. And I'm just wondering if you could talk to us about 
you know, if you're seeing any differences in the approach to any sort of move to suburban office between Canada and the U.S., um, and, and, you know, if there's, if, if there's differences across the, the borders or, um, you know, just basically any color you could share with us. Sure. Uh, again, let me uh, let me invite Frank and Philip to uh, comment respectively on the Canadian and U.S. side. Okay. Um, just speaking about uh, Canada, where our two major office markets in Canada are Manitoba and Alberta, um, we haven't really seen any um, uh, any movement away from our downtown office in uh, Manitoba. It, again, it remains flat at uh, at about 86% occupied right now. It is slow um, we, as far as um, uh, new leasing goes, but we've been very, very solid on renewals. So, um, and part of the reason why um, we're doing well on renewals is the same reason why it's slow on new leasing. It's the cost of new construction and relocating. Uh, it, um, tenants are tending, tending to stay put. Uh, and um, haven't been many, making any real decisions on um, on relocating or, or increasing or downsizing for that matter uh, in recent quarters. Um, we don't, again, in those two markets, see any real change uh, in our occupancy based on work from home. Alberta has its own problems right now, and that's a demand problem for office space. Uh, in general, um, but again, there may very well be um, new requirements for more space for employees going forward, especially in the higher density offices, more circulation space, uh, larger workstations, um, and we have some reason to believe that that could offset um, any of the um, any of the work from home uh, trends that we might see. Um, especially in some of our government offices, we're finding now that um, uh, that they uh, they are already looking at possibly taking more space because of that uh, to spread their their people out a little bit more. So hopefully that answers your question. Hey Jenny, in regards to the U.S., it because we're we do have a lot of suburban office and we're in very unique cities, so to speak. Uh, I can go by one by one quickly. Uh, Madison, we are all we are completely suburban office, and it's generally just a slight, it's a quieter market, and we do see some level of of the the severity of COVID lockdowns in the downtown area of Madison has given us a lot more looks uh, and RFPs from downtown. So, not we haven't closed any deals yet on that, but there's been a distinct interest where that's never been before. Uh, Minneapolis remains the epicenter of the political upheavals uh, from last year, and that will continue on with the trial of the police officers starting next week. And overall, Minneapolis market has been quiet. In Denver, we are starting to see interesting signs, uh, particularly at Point Inverness for our leasing, and also particularly in Phoenix, where our assets ranging from Union Hills, Office Plaza, to Stapley, and even Max where these are, again, primarily, I wouldn't call it quite suburban because Phoenix is a bit different that way, but definitely distinct nodes outside of the CBD. We are seeing quite a bit of activity and has been going on for the last couple quarters. So Phoenix, from a suburban standpoint, for all our markets, uh, is the strongest. So I guess in Phoenix's case, is that, 
a flight from downtown, or is that just an increase in in demand that would have been uh, you know targeted towards suburban anyway? Right, because yeah, Phoenix doesn't have a significant CBD uh, office product. Uh, it's a combination of of people wanting to, particularly for state, let's say it's a smaller square footage overall for the uh, the size of the suites. They have not been as uh, COVID impacted. They've still been going to work. And overall in the market right now, I would say of all the states we're in, Arizona by far is the most uh, loose in policy. And that also has created a lot of, uh, we're seeing actually a lot of in-migration from California, Oregon, and Washington State. So that's also been something quite quite significant, the amount of people that are moving in, particularly as uh, how COVID fast forward and sent that potential. So we're seeing a lot of new companies coming into Phoenix. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. Thank you uh, for that color. And then my final question relates to the, the floating rate debt proportion. Um, a question for Jim. You've always maintained that proportion sort of in that high teens to low 20% range. See a little bit of a downtick uh, in Q4, but just in light of um, the backup in yields that we've seen uh, over the very short term, uh, has that changed your view on you know where rates are? It looks like um, you know they're definitely uh, momentum on the move up. Um, do you intend to maintain that proportion of floating rate debt, or you know, or have you been more active in locking in some of the historically low rates we've seen? I would say we have been a little more active in locking in some of the floating rate debt into longer term. Uh, you know, we are keeping things still shorter term, depending on the asset. If it's an asset that may or may not be subject to disposition in the relatively near future, then we keep the debt shorter term to avoid big mortgage penalties. But uh, if it's an asset that is kind of considered core to the REIT, we would be looking to lock in that debt at longer term fixed rates. So is it fair to say uh, we might expect a continuation of the downtick uh, in the first couple of quarters of the year on the floating rate debt? Um, yes, I would say that's likely. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. We have a following question from Mark Kornack with National Bank. Matt, please go ahead. Hi, um, Just wanted to quickly get a sense uh, on the development side. If you could provide any color on the outlays with regards to remaining costs to complete, uh, and then how we should think of NOI coming in, uh, particularly on the residential assets in, in Winnipeg. Jim, do you want to take a lead on that? And then if you want to uh, invite uh, either Kim uh, or Phil to add, uh, please do so. Sure. So the, the largest piece of the development is, of course, the apartment building that's being built at 300 Main Street in Winnipeg. Um, there is roughly, I'm going to say, 90 to $100 million left to spend on that project uh, that will be over the two-year time frame. The we are expecting roughly 50% completion of that building by the end of this year from an occupancy standpoint and the balance at the end of 2022. Uh, the, the tower is progressing well. It's, uh, there, 
as I drove into the office this morning, they were standing the steel for the 30, 37th floor on a 47-story building, so we're getting close to uh, topping it out. Uh, on the uh, U.S. developments, there will be the Park 890 Phase uh, 5 that we are just commencing. Kim, do you have a price on what that was, or do Phil? Oh, well, yeah. maybe I'll turn that to Phil in a second. And then there's uh, the joint venture with our partner Nuveen in uh, in Phoenix, and I'll let Phil comment on that as well. Thanks, Jim. In regards to Park 890 Phase Five, that will be a $55 million project where we have 95% ownership in a joint venture with Trammell Crow. And uh, we have just, as I said before, broken ground. So that's just beginning now. We hope to complete construction uh, in the first quarter of next year, maybe even a little bit sooner, but we have had some rain delays, as you probably heard in Texas in the last couple of weeks. Park 90 phase, uh, sorry, Park Lucero East, as we're calling it, it's really Park Lucero East is going to be a $60 million project, and we also are beginning, hopefully this month, construction. So. Uh, that also construction completion is anticipated to be in the first quarter of 2022. Okay, thanks. And Jim, I don't know if you've disclosed this in the past, but what is the total uh, cost of 300 main and, and the yield anticipated on that cost? It'll be over 200 million. Uh, yield on costs will be somewhere in the low fours range. Perfect. Sorry? Five. Five. Sorry? Five? Okay. Sorry, I've been corrected. It's closer to a 5% yield on costs. And when you say it's 50%, by, like, is it being done in stages, or, or is that just the lease-up anticipation? Like, uh, uh, so the first, the first 20 floors, we're expecting to get a partial occupancy permit by the end of the year. And the top 20 floors will be uh, a year later. Okay, no, that's that's great color. Appreciate that. Last one uh, for me. Uh, I think in 2021 you have Worley Parsons uh, maturing. Is there any uh, status update on on the negotiations uh, for a renewal of that lease? Jim or Frank, uh, do you want to comment? Yeah, uh, they're going to be moving out. Okay. Uh, and any any prospects at this point for releasing the space? Uh, there's been tours, but nothing on paper yet. Okay. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a final reminder, should you have a question, please press the star followed by the 1. There are no further questions at this time. Ms. Nickel, you may proceed. Thank you, Operator. That concludes our call for today. The webcast and the dial-in numbers for an archived recording of this call can be found on our website. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you have any further questions. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today, and have a good day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and we ask that you disconnect your lines.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.